This is Devin Kraft from the Science Faction Podcast. You're listening to the BS Podcast Network. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to Soarin' with the Magic Our Way Podcast. My name is Mr. Mononymous, and I'll be your chief flight attendant today. We'll begin boarding in just a few minutes, but first I'd like to acquaint you with the rest of your flight crew. First, we have your pilot and co-pilots, Kevin and Danny. These artistic buffs will launch you from New Orleans to soar over all things Disney. Your entertainment director is Ivory Comics proprietor Eli. Be sure to check your in-flight magazine for a sneak peek at his comic, Project Geisha. Nice work, pal. Soon you'll be airborne. If you or your little aviators would like to reach the flight crew at any time, be sure to check out magicourway.com, where you can find links to Facebook, Twitter, email, or send in a voicemail. And, of course, you can book your next Soarin' flight with your platinum-level earmarked travel agent, Lee Lastavica, from Magical Moments Vacations. Remember, you've got a friend in Lee. Okay, let's review. Kevin, Danny, Eli Lee, Artistic Bus, Disney stuff, anything else? Oh, yeah. Chombo, everyone. Rambe. Jumbo, everyone! Harambe! And welcome to another edition of the, the Magic, Magic Our Way Podcast. Ah, uh, Sante Sun, everyone. You are listening to the Magic Our Way Podcast from New Orleans, Louisiana, in the United States of America. We are artistic buffs. Talking about Disney stuff, and this is the show in which every opinion is welcome. MagicRoy.com is where you can find us. My name is Kevin. And I am Danny. And on this show, we follow the Disney concept of edutainment, where we focus on your entertainment, and along the way, you just might learn a thing or two. And with us today, we have... Excelsior! You know, 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 you know. I have the You know the story's all about the glory. It is our resident comic genius from IvoryComics.com, Mr. Eli Ivory. How you doing, E? Ah, what a lovely day to talk magic our way. How you guys doing today? Or it be a lovely day, matey. Ah, let's plunder our listeners' ears with some goodness. Let me get to that blunderbuss. Let's get to that edutainment. Talk like a pirate day already? Yeah, you know, it's coming up. It's coming up. Pirate talk like a pirate day is coming up. That's what I checked on my calendar. I thought that's what was happening. Yeah. So you guys listen to this. Make sure you check out Mad Hatter Radio. They'll have a whole talk like a pirate day, and you'll get to hear us pirates <laughs> <laughs> fun times fun times yes that was a lot of fun recording God, we that for that. yes and guys also another pirate we have on the show is this guy here but pirate show me the money here comes the money here we go money talk here comes the money hey, must be the money show me the it's Mr. I Know More Than Your Friend, Suck It Up, Tough Loving, Ever So Lovely Travel Agent from Magical Moments Vacations, Lee Lastavica. How you doing, Lee? Yar, maybe a taco pirate. Fish taco pirate. <laughs> <laughs> land lovers. Yeah, land lovers. Arr. So you're a fishy taco pirate. Yeah. Arr, me ar. Arr, you fish those taco bells. Arr. Arr. And speaking of pirates... 
We have, fresh off the boat with the Pirates of the Magic Kingdom, where he serves as quartermaster, we have our very own Officer Mawekin and Mawekin Social Media Master Kirk Landry. How you doing, Kirk? Tell you what, I had to almost choke when, you know, went to Lee's thing. The last thing Danny said, I don't know if anybody heard it, he said, Bud Pie, right before Lee's uh, song kicked in. <laughs> I, 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 I heard it. trying to keep, keep my laugh in. Yeah. I, I like how uh, Dungeon Master Kirk over there just <laughs> made sure we could not edit that part out. <laughs> yep. Way to go, Taskmaster. Ooh, that was awesome. My chest uh, hurts now. I actually was laughing, too. I had to move my face away from the mic when he said that. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, Kirk, even though you weren't uh, fully into the interview, a part of the interview process that we did with this, our guest that I'm about to describe, uh, we definitely wanted to uh, have you on because we want to thank you for setting this all up, for sure. Yeah, no, definitely. We yeah. are indebted to you, man, because uh, without you, I wouldn't have never discovered him and... Uh, everything that he brought to the table in terms of experience back in what we all consider to be the heyday of Epcot and, and not and, just Epcot and the studio and the studio yeah, yeah. So back when we liked the studios but uh, yeah so for the listeners are probably wondering what the hell are y'all talking about well let me tell you on this show today and in fact this is part one of two we have Justin Stone from the WDW Tales podcast. Uh, he was a former cast member of Walt Disney World, and he's worked at both of those places. Danny just mentioned Epcot Center, or I guess it was Epcot 95, 98, all those numbers, the World Fair thing, that did, whatever. And it was still Disney MGM Studios. And uh, thanks to Kirk, you know, and his social media prowess, he got he connected us with that. So, Kirk, thank you very much for that, man. Absolutely. Audible bitches. Oh, no problem. This was a labor of love because um, this guy... I just love hearing his stories. Yeah, we do too. Yeah. He's got such a memory and such things he's experienced in the parks. It's awesome. Well, those stories are always fun to talk to like uh, a past cast member because you can't get that knowledge out of them while they're in the park. But right. there's always those funny, you know, backstage stories I, I love to hear. Right. Absolutely. And and we're only touching. We, our intent was to touch on a specific point in in his life, which is working on the great movie ride. Yeah. And fortunately, we were able to briefly touch on his time at Universal and his time ever so slightly as a drummer in Tapestry of Nation. Imagination, yeah. Journey to Journey Imagination. To imagination. got a piece yeah. of his origin story in there as well as how he got into the parks and, you know, how he got hooked up into it. So point being is that there is so much more we can talk to him about uh and when we're able to talk to him again i hope y'all are able to listen but in the meantime in between time you can go ahead and check him out on wdw tales where i'm sure he's already covered some of the stuff that we've well i'm not obviously not all of our questions but some of the stuff that we're going to talk to him about eventually down the road yeah and look um, for some of y'all that are podcast lovers and know you know um, um, give him, give him a little, be a little patient with him. You know, he he has some gaps between his releases, and that's only because he's a new parent. He just had a kid, and he just had having another kid, and so yeah, it makes it, you guys who have kids, you remember two babies. So all podcast, I mean podcast listeners, look, stick with his podcast. You know, don't be like, oh, he doesn't release every week. Yeah, Dude, you try doing that with a two year old and see how that works. Well, yeah, you know. Yeah. So look, it's a great show. Go back, binge listen. I've been binge listening since show one since uh, I was introduced with this guy. WDW details. You'll love the stories. It's great. Um, you're going to get a little glimpse of working at Disney from that particular time period, which we absolutely love. And you can sense his enthusiasm, too, when he does each episode. Sure. And if you fancy yourself a Disney historian, you learn something every episode, I guarantee you. You're Guaranteed right. edutainment right. on the show, for sure. 
for right. sure for sure word so anyway guys look at this time when you're listening to this podcast we're currently on our last day at disneyland this this show this will be wednesday the 21st of august it's our last full day at, uh, at disneyland and we'll be flying back to new orleans that night late that night um so we got we didn't want to leave you hanging without a show so we we thought ahead because right. that's what we do. But we got two weeks of great shows for you. We got stories from Justin for this week while we're in Disneyland and even the following week, the last week of August. So make sure you check out uh, the, the second part on next week's show as well at the end of August. So, guys, without further ado, enough of our jibber jabber. Let's get to some Justin Stone magic. Moegans, ladies and gentlemen, today we're joined by a current podcast host and former Walt Disney World cast member. In his time at Disney, he helped you drum in the millennium. He set you off on a journey into imagination, and he even held you hostage at gunpoint on the great movie ride. We're thrilled today to be joined by the host of WDW Tales, Justin Stone. Justin, how you doing, sir? Hey, guys. How's it going? Thanks for uh, having me on. Well, thanks for coming on the Magic Army Podcast, man. We definitely appreciate it. Absolutely, man. We're pumped to talk to you. You had quite the uh, quite the run at Disney. Uh, I certainly did. You know, that's the cool thing about Disney is um, you make it what you make it. There's certainly a lot of opportunities, and um, I wasn't one to sit still, so I just uh, kept messing around and, and found my way into some pretty cool experiences. So, yeah, it was enjoyable. When you first started working over there, was that your goal was to have a career at Disney, or was, you know, were you just working your way through school? Uh, it was a little more school. So I, uh, my family had just moved to Orlando like a year before and I was just turning 16. And so I needed to find work, you know, like everyone gets a summer job when you, you turn that age. And so I, there's like a career fair I read in the Orlando Sentinel about something at Disney. And I was like, Oh, you know, we, we went to Disney since I was a little kid. We've kind of always just known it. My sister worked there, worked for the company and uh, I had family that worked for the company. So I, you know, drove my car down to uh, the casting building and, I was like, oh, maybe I can work at you know Space Mountain. I like Space Mountain, or I could work at one of the rides. And I got there, and they're like, yeah, there's no ride <laughs> jobs available. They're like, do you want to work food service? And I was like, no. In fact, my my very first job was uh, working at Universal, scooping ice cream at Schwab's the summer before. And I was like, I did food service. I'm done with it. And uh, so I was getting ready to get back on the bus to get to my car. And then I was like, well, there's what else is there to do? So I thought maybe like merchandise would be cool. You don't have to do anything <laughs> really you just have to restock stuff and work a cash register so i uh i turned around and i went to the merchandise tent or the merchandise table and i got a job at adventureland uh in all the old shops that i don't even think are there anymore a few of them are like uh elephant tails tiki tropic shop buana bobs used to right, be this right. little thing outside of the jungle cruise so you'd basically kind of rotate within all of those. And that was my first gig. And then from there, I just threw relationships I met and, uh, you know, postings internally. I just kind of moved my way around. And I never really thought of it as a career. It was just kind of a thing I did through college and, and all that being a local. And that's how I treated it. And uh, it was a, it's been a, it's just an absolute blast to reminisce with people I've worked with. And the relationships that I forged, like there are, there are people who I started working with in the 90s who we literally talk every day. Oh, that's awesome. There isn't a day that goes by that we don't do some kind of chat or something like that. So it's really what you make of it. And that's, uh, that's kind of the, that's my shtick, right? That's my selling point to anyone who wants to try theme park working. Is your sister still there? Or she moved on as well. No, everybody's moved on. So we've all done the experience and then use that to parlay into more corporate world jobs. 
and uh, and so now uh, she every once in a while I think she she does some freelance. She did some freelance work with Engine uh, Imagineering in Glendale uh, two years ago, and then they were going to ask her to move. I think to open Shanghai, and she you know had a family and all that and wasn't interested. So she then. Uh, move to another freelance job but uh, i think that's the last of it okay yeah well i was, I was curious to just take it back a quick question about adventureland were you and i don't remember when this act stopped playing there but were you there when jp and the silver stars were still performing the little steel band? oh yeah okay sure cool. absolutely i yeah, used to love so that group <laughs> we play a couple times a day yeah they were great they were uh lots uh, a lot farther down they were about closer to pirates and actually the pirates gift shop was a different business unit different costume so ours was, theirs was dressed like a pirate. Ours was like a 1970s pimp. It was like <laughs> pants, loafers, and then this like really big Hawaiian shirt. And that's what. That looks still in style. That, yeah, it always works. It always works. <laughs> Huge butterfly collars, all of that. Nice. So uh, JP and the, so, the All-Stars were there. We'd hear them every once in a while. There used to be a cart called the Lion King cart that stood right outside of um, the Tiki Room before Aladdin's train wreck thing went in <laughs> that circle, um, circle thingy <laughs> we'd stand there all day and you could kind of hear him if the wind was right but uh what we had what was big for us was we used to have this adventureland idol that we used to work with operations and we would hide it somewhere in adventureland and then give away a, a map for anyone to play and then if they found it then they got on the jungle cruise you know front line things like that so that was the big thing that we did that was uh, just something y'all did yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was an Adventureland, you know, some area manager dreamt it up one summer. And so uh, operations and, uh, or attractions and uh, merchandise would work together on, in you know, before the park opened, you'd hide it somewhere. And then if people came up and asked about it, you'd give them a map and then they'd you'd go on a scavenger hunt. The first to find it would get something. Wow, it's like the original Treasures of the Seven Seas. Yeah. <laughs> Except with a prize. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And so it would be, uh, it was actually a funny anecdote is, so the the thing was always, it was a front of the line for the Jungle Cruise or front of the line for the, the Tiki Room, which always was the front of the line. Yeah. But I had this terrible issue with giving away stuff <laughs> because, the, you know, you're in traditions, which is like the first class you go through when you get hired about the Disney way and the Disney look and the magic and they drum all the all the uh, Kool-Aid into you, the, the big word was empowerment. And I took that as, as like, I'm going to just give away stuff. And it, it <laughs> kind of followed me throughout my career at Disney. I always just gave away stuff and I would get in trouble a couple times here and there. But when the Lion King came out, we used to have these like $40 plushes. And I just, if someone won the idol, I'd be like, here's a Simba plush. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody yeah, was going, whoa, 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 yeah. hey, 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 was like, uh, who is that guy? Stole it again. Uh, it's cost yeah. us a good bit. I got to imagine yeah. it's a fireable <laughs> offense to the, <laughs> today. My bodyguard peeks around the corner. Give the five dollars. Come on. <laughs> that's, that's right. It has to be the big one. I'm like, yeah. What? <laughs> Billion dollar company. I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> Drop in the bucket, man. Yeah, no the, problem. Yeah. The markup is yeah. probably like two dollars. Like it's probably like a two dollar plush anyway, marked up to forty. So you know, it's not yeah. that bad. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of that story you told in your show. Uh, something about imagination. Something happened, and you're and you're something. I forget what it was. Something broke. There was like some kind of some kid was wearing a beanie, and y'all gave him a prize or something. Got in trouble for that. Yeah, there's uh, two stories about that. Uh, so the first one is if uh, you remember the original imagination, the there was a like a there were two load positions one was stood at the console and then the other one helped everybody onto the the ride so there was a guy uh, i was at the 
the console and there was a guy loading. He's a funny dude, really, really funny dude. And uh, some kid came on with it. It used to be this old, I don't know if they still sell it, but it was a beanie with, with Mickey Mouse with like a little PVC Mickey Mouse on the top. And then it had a spinner on it. Was it multicolored? Like the yeah, it was, yeah, oh, it was multicolored. I have one of those. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> I saw it the other day. Were you that there. little boy, Kevin? No, mine's still intact. <laughs> probably was. Probably mine's was. still intact. So the little kid went to as he was stepping on the ride, or as the load two was cr- closing the door, the guy went to spin the beanie and he hit it so hard the whole thing just shattered, like obliterated the thing. <laughs> like the the PVC Mickey flew off and hit another guest in the shoulder, and <laughs> and we're like, uh, like it was so <laughs> awkward that you couldn't laugh, like couldn't not laugh, and uh, and so by the time the kid get around, we ran to the, you know, we sent somebody to the. Uh, it wasn't mouse gear at the time. It was still centurium. Uh, what you call it? Yeah, centurium. Uh, yeah, yeah. Before and went and uh, got him one. The, the other part of the story is so there used to be at the exit as you came around the tunnel as at the unload of the ride. There used to be like this little gift shop in the corner of the of the pavilion. And a guy named Ganell worked there five days a week. He was the funniest dude ever. But uh, there used to be this like five and a half foot, forty pound figment plush. <laughs> And so I was at load two and we were talking, I was talking to this guest or we were uh, waiting for the ride to start back up. And I said, Hey, there are three hidden Mickey's on this ride. If you can find all three, I'll let you pick something from the gift store. Going back to my like empowerment thing. Mm -hmm. So they, I was, I went to break and then someone came to the break room. They're like, Hey, did you promise some guests something? And I was like, Oh yeah. The family with the hidden Mickey's. And they're like, yeah, they found them and they want that giant figment. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was like a three hundred dollar figment or four hundred dollar oh. figment, and I was Damn. like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah." So the uh, so the the merchandise manager said no. The my manager got involved, and then t- t- there was some kind of compromise where they walked away with something still of like high value. Uh, I I got in a lot of trouble for that one, but <laughs> my whole thing was like, "Hey, empowerment!" Like you guys said. So I, there wasn't any disciplinary, like nothing went on my record, but they're like, you need to stop doing that. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> lesson learned. I bet you that family was regretting it after they started toting that figment around all day. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Probably got left on a bench. I think they actually walked away. So Kodak used to sponsor the pavilion. I think they actually walked away with a camera. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I think the compromise was, we'll give you a camera. Uh, it was like those instamatic, probably like $100 at the time. And, 110 uh, not even 35 millimeter probably yeah yeah that's what i think is what it was and then some film and then uh then they called around on the uh, like what, what do you want to ride next at the time there was uh i think the big thing still was spaceship earth and uh <laughs> it wasn't test track yet uh so maybe we, maybe they got him on the world world of motion or something right. like that okay. ah, that's cool yeah just to give the listeners some context um uh, Justin happened to work in the parks, Walt Disney World parks, at one of my favorite periods of time uh, of, of Disney history. You know, through it was it was mostly the nineties. Is that correct? Am I remembering that right? Yeah, it was about ninety four to 02. Yeah, because he, he was there during Disney MGM Studios, mm-hmm. Epcot's. Well, okay, well, I guess they were doing the World's Fair thing with ninety five, Epcot ninety five, ninety eight, whatever yep. all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, so Millennium yeah, just, celebration. Yeah, Millennium celebration. One of my, just one of my favorite periods of Disney Parks history. Yeah, the period that everybody says, "Oh, here goes somebody reminiscing about Horizons again." Kind of stuff. That <laughs> kind of stuff. Go, they didn't go. It, like, okay, it was just awesome. That time period, if you didn't experience, it was just awesome. And when I started listening to his show, uh, my my mouth just fell to the floor as I was commuting to work. I was like, "Oh my god, this is freaking!" Awesome. I remember exactly <laughs> everything he's talking about. You're like Marty McFly. Yeah. If you can go back in history, this would be the time. That Absolutely. You sh- yes. Yeah. yeah. That's when I go back. Because yeah, I remember when kodak was there i remember when who, who did was who did the land before nestle was it um craft craft thank you, you yeah, yeah. Kraft, uh, yeah they were the same ones who did uh kitchen cabaret too yeah 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 yeah, yeah they uh you know it's funny everybody thinks like their time is the heyday but i honestly think the, like the mid 90s to early 2000s it was just a whole different level at the parks outside of like the mid early 70s and and as like the early 80s when epcot opened up but we always joke about that when I spent a lot of time with the movie ride, most of my time with the movie ride. So then like we're in a huge movie ride chat group on Facebook and people were like, Oh yeah. Oh nine was the best time ever. And we're like, <laughs> no, <laughs> what the hell was going on in Oh nine. What, <laughs> what were you doing? What, yeah, I'm they totally changed with you, the finale man. again. What, but, yeah, right. uh, <laughs> yeah, I loved, uh, as I said before, my family, uh, my first trip to, I, I uh, was born in the late seventies. My first trip to Disney, I was like 15 weeks old. 16 weeks old oh nice yeah and scott i come from a big family and that was like the easy thing to do back in the day is we'd go a couple times a year because it was one park two parks and and we stayed at fort wilderness or we stayed at uh, the contemporary and like my parents could just let my brothers and sister run around and watch me and my younger brother or my older brother who was younger and uh it was just the thing to do so i i've always had an affinity for disney just because that's the thing we did Right. You know, it wasn't like, hey, we're huge Disney fans. It was just, there's a big open place. We have a big open family and the kids are going to be safe. So let's just cut them loose. And uh, so it was great when I started working there and saw from the inside what the experience was like. Yeah, no, that's that's really cool. And I remember one of the episodes that you did, uh, and, and listen, you got to check this out. Uh, you were talking about your travels with your family. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, you know, it's funny. I was listening to that and just listening to you uh, just talk about, you know, your life and working with Disney. I totally relate to a lot of the things you were talking about, especially with the drives and stuff. Uh, my, I mean, my parents, I'm first generation here. My parents were immigrants. So they wanted to, they always, we always drove on every vacation because they wanted to see the country that they moved to. Right. And mm-hmm. so that's, I mean, a, a lot of the road trips that we did was based, sounded exactly the, like the road trips that you did. E- even the spur of the moment Disney trips. Like I remember one time we went to go visit family in the Philippines we flew back i flew back to the united states my parents still had three days left on vacation so once we landed in new orleans we hopped in a car and drove straight to orlando (laughs) and enjoyed a weekend in disney world just impromptu disney trip you know just because my mom loved it so much and you know just hearing you talk about similar stories like that what your parents would do i think you you said they would pick you up from school or something like that you and your brother and then all of a sudden you'll just get whisked away somewhere pretty much yeah that was the you know back in the day when you could actually pull your kids out of school without fear of them missing like a ton of work (laughs) Uh, that's kind of how it was i mean even like uh i think i said this on one one of my episodes was we used to live in the midwest and we moved to the East Coast, and I was like, I don't know, six. And uh, my brother, my oldest brother, had his car. He was in college, and I rode. We're really close, so I rode with him, and then another one of my brothers, and then everyone else rode with my folks. We kind of, uh, you know, wagon trained it. But I remember, like, uh, <clears throat> I still remember this plain as day, riding in my brother's, you know, Lynx hatchback, mm-hmm. uh, and hearing something about a Florida radio station. And I was like, what Florida radio station? And my other brother saying, well, it's college stations, and they play them everywhere. I fall asleep. I wake up and we're in Fort Wilderness and I damn lost my mind. <laughs> so, my, 
so my parents took a week in between the move. They told basically the, there was a week from the movers to get our stuff from the Midwest, Midwest to the East Coast. So we drove down to Disney, spent the week at Disney, and then drove up to the East Coast. And I was like, I told that story actually in Traditions when people, they're like, does anyone have a Disney story? And I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> and, uh, I told it and uh, everyone's like, what an effing nerd. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, they don't man. appreciate it. They like, don't appreciate it. The room was like silent. They're like, oh, okay, cool. They Maybe don't they understand, just, man. Yeah. They all yeah. realize they couldn't top that. Right. They want a story. Yeah. You gave them a story. They just they just they hate can't you. hang. They just yeah. can't hang. <laughs> They're like, yeah, that's right. You're like, follow that. Nobody had yeah. nothing to say. Like, all right, I'm done. I dropped the bike. So <laughs> is, is, was the, the affinity that you had for Disney what led you to want to leave Universal? Or were you, what was it? Yeah. What made you want to leave Universal, I should ask? I would say, uh, well, the Universal thing was just, you know, I was like 15. You couldn't do anything because of the age I was at, except working in food service. So my sister actually at that time, so she had left she opened the movie ride on the college program, met her husband at the, col- at, at the movie ride. They left uh, to open Universal or they were like the next year in. So she went to run guest relations and he went to, he was some, he was in marketing. And so uh, when I was like, Hey, I need to work. And, sh- and my sister said, well, come work at Universal. We'll find you an easy job. But because of my age, I couldn't work attractions or operations, what they call. So she's like, Hey, work at food service. Or my, my good friend, my roommate works in, she runs all food service. What would you want to do? And so I went and met with her and she said, why don't you work at Schwab's? Schwab's is scoop. It's literally scooping ice cream. It's the easiest job in the world. I would get loaned out to Mel's all the time, which is like the greasiest job in the world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like clean, clean the grease trap and all that stuff. <laughs> Mel's. Yeah. Mel's. Yeah. So it was uh, Mel's Drive-In is from um, Physical uh, Physical Graffiti. Yeah, American That's Graffiti, a, like, yeah. yeah. American Graffiti. Yeah. Yeah, the George Lucas movie. So yeah. all the 50s cars are out front. And w- there used to be a guy who looked like Wolfman Jack. He used to spin. <laughs> uh, I remember that. Because that yeah. was in the, the guidebook, too. I don't right? remember that. Yeah, there was yeah. like a radio station or something. That was my uh, secret life. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yeah, and then they cut that. They cut that gig. But uh, I just, you know, I did it for a summer and a half, and just wasn't my thing. Uh, you know, uh, I did have some great stories from from that job, but Universal is just a different. It's just a different scenario and a different gig. And I actually went back to Universal later on, and I had I got some of the best jobs and and met some of the best people ever. Um, that was later on in my career. But I I uh, just said, you know, this isn't kind of my thing, but. Uh, uh, let's see what Disney's all about. So I went over there and checked it out. Can I ask you real quick? So it, while working over there, now obviously you told us in advance you're going to be doing a podcast on this, so listeners go check it out, the differences between working at Universal and Disney. But if you could real quick, can you tell us the difference in how management treats its employees at Disney as opposed to Universal? That's a good question. <clears throat> um, you know, I don't know if I would if I would characterize everything down to how management treats. Do you mean management like your day to day manager, or do you mean like the Tom Williams of the world and the like the the Bob Chapex? Like, are you saying like senior management or yeah, I'm like talking running of the ladder? Yeah, I'm yeah. talking across the board. I mean, in terms of how they what they expect from you, how you're disciplined, how you're supervised, that kind of thing. Okay, that's a that's a better way of putting it. So overall. I would say the vibe from management and th- mind you again, this was like 92, 93. And then again in 03. So it had, you know, in 03 Comcast had just gotten into the mix, but I was there the first time when Seagram's owned the place, uh, where there used to be this big, this, this wives tale that you could have one alcoholic drink per eight hours because you were owned by a liquor company. 
totally lie. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> thankfully, I was too young to do that. But so I would getting back to your question, I would say Universal. The vibe is more we're in it together than Disney, which is like handed down from person to person to person. Like I heard from this manager, from this senior manager, from this director, from the senior director to the CEO. Like it's a it's just a different feeling. Like I never felt when I was at Universal, I never felt like I had to cater to the needs of my boss. Like I still had to do the job mm-hmm. uh-huh. and just mess around. But my boss was right there in the trenches or my boss got it because my boss was there before what I did. Now Universal is a smaller, was a smaller property at the time and Disney's massive. And as I said before, like you could move wherever you want if you knew the right people and, and all that stuff. So, you wouldn't necessarily get the same understanding from management as your day to day because they had, they'd moved into the role or or whatever. So it just felt like universal, like you kind of felt a little bit more respected. You respect management because they really were kind of looking out for you where Disney's like, Hey, you know, how's it going? And you're like, Oh, terrible. I've got 103 fever. They're like, great. (laughs) Don't screw up. Here's a cold towel. Keep a smile on your face. (laughs) Exactly. But I will say, so at the studios, at Disney MGM studios or Hollywood studios, um, MGM is fine for this show. Yeah. I'm totally good with that. Okay. That was a different, for some weird reason, MGM had a different culture. Uh, I think it's because at Epcot's a huge park. And so you've got a lot of different people doing different things. Magic Kingdom, everyone, you know, you can't or used to not be able to, if you're one costume, you could never transfer over into another land without using the Utilidor. So you didn't know a lot of people. Everyone kind of stayed in their own little sections of the Utilidor entrance and exit. Animal Kingdom was Animal Kingdom. (laughs) You know, it's also very segmented because of the way it's laid out. So uh, MGM had, had... more of a family vibe. We used to do this thing called the Pargo Parade during Christmas where each business unit would dress up a golf cart and you'd do like a big sketch on New York Street in front of senior management. Um, there's Goofy's uh, Mystery Tour where you would you know, hook yourself up to three other cast members and then go on a huge scavenger hunt at night. So <laughs> there, was, um, there, were, there were just, you, you felt like, he, when you worked at MGM, you felt like that was the only park. Mm-hmm. Like, out of all Walt Disney World, there's only one park and it was MGM. So that, and that was supported by management a lot. So for park management, this guy, Malcolm Ross used to run the park. He's the greatest guy ever. Really, really good dude. I don't know where he's at these days, probably retired, <laughs> but overall from a universal Disney perspective, I would say that universal felt more, I felt like I was more invested in hmm. by management than at Disney. Now, now again, I haven't been there in, I haven't left Disney in 02, so I can't say how that currently is, but sure. that's the that's how it was when I was there. It sounds like it was more siloed over at Disney than uh, Universal is. Yeah, pretty pretty much. Um, you If you worked at one attraction at Universal, you worked at them all. Like you basically, I mean, you were home to like, when I worked in attractions, I worked, I started at Earthquake there, then I was lent to Jaws to be a lead for a summer, and then I went to Jimmy Neutron, I went to oh. Shrek. Uh, and then I worked at Dragons, like a whole IOA is a whole different story. But uh, all the managers worked very closely together. All the leads worked very closely together. So you felt like you knew what was going on all the time because you were closer to what the conversations were happening at a more senior level. Disney, that wasn't the case at all. I'd walk in and they'd be like, hey, new script tomorrow. You know, <laughs> that sounds so business. <laughs> yeah. On yeah. the fly. Yeah. 
not to say that there weren't great managers at Disney. Some of the managers I, managers I worked under are amazing. They're still there. There's a guy who just won, uh, he just won an Emmy award for mm-hmm. something he did with Beauty and the Beast. And he still works in the park. Well, he does production in the parks. Uh, so he is no longer the, the day-to-day rank and file, but uh, he's still there. He's killing it. And he's the nicest guy in the world. And he was the best manager to work for. And, uh, you know, I, I never had a manager like him at Universal. It's just different experiences. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying from like a 50,000 foot view, it really feels when you're at Universal, there's a little more we're in it together than Disney, which is just like, especially now. Now it just feels like I don't even know who's running what and what kind of strategy is <laughs> doing what, and who's in charge of what uh, at Disney. So uh, that, I would say that that's the big, the big difference. So Disney's a little bit more sink and sink or swim kind of than Universal, I guess. I think it's just more corporate. Just I think it's just corporate. more like it this is the good. way it's always been, and this is how it's going to be, and we're not looking for for new ideas uh, unless those ideas come from someone who went to the Carnegie Mellon School of uh, witchcraft and wizardry. I don't know. Like, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's like you, can, you know the lines, the corporate lines of demarcation at Disney. Right. Like, versus Universal, it's like, what do you want to do? How do we make this better? How do we? And I think Comcast coming in was a big help. Comcast will, as much as I can't promote like the Comcast for being a great company, mm-hmm. this department that ran theme park division, they're great. They spent a ton of money. They still do. And, uh, and they make their, their team feel, they make the team feel like they're valued and they're part of the experience. And, uh, and so I think that was something I think Disney did back in the day. And I don't, I just don't think it's there anymore. Did Universal give y'all a little bit more leeway in the way y'all interacted with guests than what Disney did? To some degree, I think it's, again, it's going to be where you work and who your day-to-day manager is and what that expectation is and what the vision of that department is. So I, 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 so a blanket statement, yeah, um, but I, I would not say that that doesn't happen at Disney. But I will say, you know, at uh, Thanksgiving, we always got a free frozen turkey from Universal. <laughs> wow. They still do it. Wow, gee. 12-pound turkey, yeah. That's and, awesome. Uh, it's like the John Gotti promotion. Right. Here's a turkey. Here's a turkey. So, it, you know, it's um, like when I was a lead, when I was the lead at Earthquake or Neutron or Dueling Dragons, I let my cast do whatever they want. As long as they got the, like... As long as nobody was hurting anybody, nobody got killed, <laughs> uh, nobody was screwing anyone else over. If you wanted to have fun with your show and you weren't ad-libbing on your script to a certain degree where it was now you were the star of the show, not the show was the star, I kind of let the folks do what they want. And that kind of made it a little bit easier for everyone to work together than just being like, this. the rule says you have to do this. And, and uh, there were certainly experiences at Disney where I experienced both, where I could do whatever I wanted. And then there were times where it's like, play by the rules. And if you don't, then there's going to be an issue. Well, I, I would certainly love to ask you a lot about Jaws because that was one of my favorite attractions over there. I'd love to know about how that ride uh, operated and the, the, the challenges with it because it seemed, like a, it seemed like one of those rides where something could go wrong that could mess up the show a lot if the shark didn't appear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just a lot of water. <laughs> kind of like uh, in filming the actual movie itself. But... <laughs> We are uh, a Disney podcast, so we probably... Uh, maybe we could do something like that another day. I would love to yeah. do something like that, but I mean, he's going to cover it in his next podcast. Oh, that's true. The differences right. between working yeah. at Disney and Universal, okay. so I don't want to spend too much time on it when you're going to be doing it yourself in a better way. So getting back to Disney real quick, I, 
I just don't want to because we're I know we're we're already thirty minutes in here. I I'd love to jump into the great movie ride because that was one of my favorite former attractions. Same here. One yeah. Mine. Mine uh, too. I just remember my mind being blown the very first day I wrote it. When wait, what's happening? Someone just hijacked our car what <laughs> why is there a gun what <laughs> what happened yeah. and it was just it, it, it blew your mind at first um shoot i remember being little and being deathly afraid of the alien scene <laughs> oh yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, but so how did you end up working over there was that something that you had to audition for the role because i mean you played um the high well, you played role, multiple, multiple roles, roles but yeah. i mean you were mostly known for being the gangster right correct yeah I was at Journey and Imagination, and I'd been there about a year and a half, which uh, I, I thankfully got into that role. I was doing uh, Adventureland and, and something called Super Greeting at the Magic Kingdom, which was just walking around the park and hanging out with people and putting them at the front of the ride and riding. Wow. Yeah, that's a funny story. That's cool. I listened yeah, to I, your Space yeah. Mountain story. When you that was, <laughs> yeah, that was, was a, funny. A great gig, but they were, they were cutting back uh, as they do. And um, and I didn't want to go back to uh, um, to merchandise full time. So my sister, my future sister in law, was working at um, IMAG, which is Honey I Shrunk the Audience during the Imagination and the Living Seas. And she said, "Yeah, come over. Like I my my room, my best friend's a manager, so just come on over." So I was there. I did my thing, but I I'd always wanted to do movie ride. I'm, I'm a I'm an actor at heart. I'm a I'm a performer at heart. And I did. The, I think I did all everything I could at uh, Journey to Imagination, short of like refilming the Dreamfinder School of Drama and uh, and mm. letting people, you know, perform my version of it. But <laughs> my so my sister, who was now in, she'd left Universal. She was now in Burbank at the Disney Studios, working um, uh, for broadcast on ABC. She still had a really good friend who was what's called um he's basically a show performance coach. So he would walk around the park at MGM and he would he knew all the scripts to all the shows. He knew all the blocking to all the shows. He knew all the things that you were supposed to say in food service. And he would come up and he'd watch you, and he would give you notes. And uh, he's a dear friend of mine still. And uh, she said, "Hey, Paul, is there any way that Justin could get the movie right?" And he's like, "Yeah, absolutely." So something short of. Two months later, I was, you know, putting on my red suspenders and red bow tie for the first time and just losing my absolute damn mind because this attraction is just the, it's the, it is the epitome of what Disney was supposed to be, right? Right. This, like, this person who knew everything about Hollywood is going to take you on this journey with all these animatronics and, you know, no, um, no corner was cut anywhere and, and it, it just was, is everything. I mean, I, I've told the story a million times about when the day the park opened and I ran out to see my sister who was the bandit and, uh, you know, standing in the pre-show just being like, Oh, this is, Oh my God, is this really a thing? Is this, am I really in the movies right now? <laughs> so, uh, so I, I, uh, was thankfully was able to get in and I, I did a quick read for when you, when you get to the movie ride, you're, you're not an actor. There's no equity. There's no anything like that. You are, a, you're an attractions host, whether you're a tour guide, uh, a greeter, a bandit, or a gangster. So you really can't necessarily read for the part because that would go against some union rules right. to, 
but um but they did it was a kind of a cold audition just to make sure like you can do the accent which is written into the script and uh <laughs> it was just terrible so um so i did i did six months as a tour guide and a greeter and then i moved up to gangster and uh and bandit and thankfully i was just got lucky in in the way that the full-timers picked their shifts and um i was able just to be up there i think i went something like uh, almost 16 months without doing a tour guide show and then when oh. i did do that tour guide show it was the b show because that's the shortest tour guide show because of the gangster shows eight minutes long. So when you get hijacked, mm-hmm. you get an eight minute break. And I decided out of the eight hour shift, I just going to do, I wasn't going to take one break. I wasn't going to do a lunch. I wasn't going to do anything. I just going to s- go around see how many times I could do it without passing out. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good challenge. <laughs> yeah. And I was, I was basically forced to take a lunch break, but then I hopped right back in and uh, just, I forgot how many shows, like 40, 50 shows, something like that. Wow. But, uh, you said you had like a long set of shifts. It was like what thirteen hours or something, something crazy. In one of your stories, you said like yeah for um, New Year's. So I would spend every New Year's at the movie ride, except for Tapestry Nations, the opening night. Uh, mm. Obviously, was there. But the the best thing about the holidays is that they're like you guys know as, as guests, like it's insane. Like the waits for like the cheesiest rides are 45 minutes to an hour. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know you get into work at like five o'clock in the morning and and start cycling the vehicles at six o'clock and then at six thirty, the park opens or used to open it to some resort guests and uh the and then the park might close at 11 but then at like nine o'clock you would hear on the radio park extending an hour because of attendance or whatever and so there were days where people would either call in or they wouldn't be able to fill all the shifts because we're running at full capacity and you'd just be like yeah okay like i'll do a six hour tour guide and then the the lead at the time or the board is what they were called. The board would come and say, hey, I need you to go to Gangster. Are you cool to work till two in the morning? I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Because it was, <laughs> it wasn't, it was never a job at the movie mm. ride. It, never once did I think of this as like a job. I mean, there were days when I was just like, ugh, can I do one more show? Can I, can I, it was famous. People would say, is this a ride? And you're like, ugh, just go. Get this <laughs> <laughs> it's like, is it a movie? Is it a movie ride? I'm like, it's a movie ride. And they're like, you're not helping me. I go, I know. <laughs> just this is really not helping you. It's a great yeah. movie ride. It'll yeah. surprise you. Give it a shot. I, I didn't care. Did y'all get overtime? Did y'all make overtime? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we got, so if it was back in the day, so it was anything um, over the fifth day, sixth day, anything over the sixth day or anything over eight hours in the day, uh, or anything over 40 hours in the week would go to time and a half. And then if it was within six hours, like if you if you were off at midnight and then all of a sudden you came back in at 5.30 in the morning, then you I think you'd get double time. Oh, wow. Damn. So, yeah. So instead of $5 an hour, it was $10. <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. Okay, good. good. So, yeah. in a, so in an hour, how many shows would you do? Like three, four? As a what character? As a gangster. So, yeah, so we used to do a thing. So there'd be four gangsters upstairs. We do something called, usually it's called fives. Mm -hmm. So you and um, your gangster partner would each do five shows while the other two gangsters took a break and then you'd switch. Fives were the most common thing. So five and an eight-minute gangster show is about 40 to 45 minutes is that you were basically working and then you would take a 45-minute break. There would be days when a lot of changeovers would happen or some scheduling snafu snafu where we'd get five gangsters and we'd run something called a matrix and a matrix would be and it was completely against the rules um and in fact if we got somebody for longer than two hours we were supposed to go down and get into a greeter costume and go help out and we're like we're not doing that are you kidding <laughs> as gangster <laughs> well you you change your costume and you put a uh, orange 
orange uh, jacket on and then just go help sweep or whatever. Yay. So the, the <laughs> matrix would be like, so you'd be, you do a, sh- and these would be fives. So you do show, show, safety, safety, break, break, or break, break, safety, or sorry, show, show, break, break, safety. So the two shows would be sets of five. So you do 10 shows. Then break, break would be, you get 90 minutes, like a 90 minute break because everyone else was doing their shows. And then safety just meant you had to sit upstairs in case something happened and you had to run on the stage to help the gangster or there was a show that didn't have a gangster. So you essentially would do 45 minutes of work and then two hour break. And everyone would get that. So one time we sent a guy to McDonald's because it was 10 cent cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> and he had, uh, he had backstage parking because we used to do this event in the in finale theater called the GM Oscars, which was like a, a award ceremony and a sketch thing for the movie ride. So he was parked backstage because he did the music and he had to work in the studio or whatever. And so um, he came in and he's like, dudes, he's actually, funny story, side story, he's actually the producer of the movie Waiting. If any of you guys never that oh, movie, wow, okay. Ryan Reynolds or whatever. The first scripts yeah. we used to read up in Gangster. For the first sure. Yeah, 100. And uh, anyway, so he's like, hey, dudes, uh, what's going on? 10 cent cheeseburger at McDonald's day. And we're like, <laughs> turn around. You, uh, Dean, you have drive on, right? And he's like, yeah. And we're like, turn around, get in the car. And he went and he got like 60 cheeseburgers and we covered. <laughs> oh, <his> my God. <laughs> nice. I like that. Which we could all got fired. I mean, we broke so many rules by doing all those things, but. You're gangsters, though. It makes sense. Yeah, you had to, you had but to back make it then, that's what we did. I mean, that's it's just a different time. I mean, now you have a printout that says, go to greeter, go to load, go to <laughs> yeah. whatever. Um, it's all very efficient now. And back then, we kind of ruled the roast, roost, so to speak. That's cool. Yeah, very, very, very method. Um, <laughs> yeah. Quick question about that. I mean, I'm sure you all figured this out, but... Out of cur- I'm assuming this is the McDonald's on property, yeah? Uh, I th- yeah. No, I think this was the one. So they used to have one at Downtown Disney. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I remember that. So I that's think where, he, or the Animal Kingdom one. It could have been the Animal Kingdom one. So he had how, how long did it take him to get down and back? Just out of curiosity, with drive on, yeah, which is uh, I don't know, probably fifteen minutes. Oh, it's hmm. not bad. Okay, not bad. You should yeah. totally make that within that. But that was accomplishable, regardless of what schedule you're doing. If you're doing like the if you had the two and two, or if you had the Matrix thing happening, it, it would only be a Matrix. There, only Matrix. It would, be, it would be too tough because we needed to have that that fifth person is a safety in case something happens. Gotcha. I gotcha. Okay. I'm just imagining this guy walking in with like 40 bags, 40 plastic bags full of cheeseburgers. That's a little, you know, it's like go get a little card or something. Yeah. So, <laughs> so on Mickey, uh, uh, it's all changed now, but on Mickey Avenue, there used to be soundstage two, which is who wants to be a millionaire. Um, and there was, before that it was, it wasn't much Superstar of television, we, right? Is that yeah, yeah. No, no. Superstar was on the other side. On oh, the front okay. Of the that's right. Yeah, that's right. I got him backwards. Yeah. This used to be an actual, filming soundstage so you could park back there you could walk across mickey avenue and directly walk straight into the hallway that took you to the characters you would never go through the office you'd never go through the break room anything like that so that's where he parked and he just ran down and and zipped through the drive-thru and came back with a ton of cheeseburgers and it was great it was we feasted like kings that day. <laughs> so I was curious uh, to go back to what you were saying before about working safety. What kind of scenario would occur where another gangster would need you to run on stage to help them out? It happened all the time. Um, not not on a daily basis, but pretty much I would have to jump out a couple of times. So a couple of things. If for some reason a show was held up somewhere later in the, the show and later in the ride and the gangster couldn't get back to the next show, 
there might be a, a situation where the tour guide's out there with no gangster. It's very rare that happens because of the way that the ride is set up, but it, it does happen. There's also a lot of times where if the ride, so if the ride vehicle broke down, there was no way to back it up. And the maintenance space was in the, um, the entrance to maintenance space was right after Casablanca as you got into Fantasia. Uh, to pull, they'd have to literally pull the vehicle, but if there were any vehicles in front, they would have to get those vehicles out of the way. So if a vehicle died in, say, Wizard of Oz, then all the vehicles behind those would get stuck. That means your vehicle in Gangster would not be moving forward. You wouldn't get a clear. There used to be a light called a block light. A mm-hmm. block light, once it turned green, it meant, it meant the show scene in front of you was clear to go and you could shift and, and continue the ride. But if everything's stuck, then, and then the Gangster show is over and all of a sudden the animatronics, you know, they recycle and they go, the Gangster car goes back into the garage and Squid and Beans duck down. <laughs> then the Gangster's just out there all alone, like on an island. And so if we would hear you got really adept at hearing the show. Like I can, I close my eyes and I still hear the ambient sounds and <laughs> you know, I still dream about it. Everyone still dreams about it. It's the weirdest thing. Everyone's always chiming in like, Hey, I had this movie where I dreamed last night. Hey, so did I. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I digress. So you'd hear the show scene die down and then you would still hear the gangster talking and you're like, ah, and then you would, since we're all wearing the same outfit, you'd like throw your jacket off, you'd roll up your sleeves, you you would do whatever you could to look a little bit different than the main gangster on the vehicle. And then there were about three or four places where you could jump out in the show scene that weren't the stairs. So where, where the tour guide ran away, um, there was a huge tunnel that you could go through. Back behind the, the second part of the, the trailer of the vehicle tractor, you could go out over there and you would just ad lib. Like you would just totally ad lib. And that was one time where there was nothing that, management could do about it because you're helping out a fellow cast member. You're trying uh-huh. to keep the guests entertained. So there were things that we could talk about. I always, my whole stick, I did like a Casanova thing. I'd always hit on the female guest. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that was my big, yeah. So, um, or I'd kind of make fun of people, um, you know, in a clean way. And, uh, and you would do this so often and you know who you worked with that you guys could play off each other and never step on each other's lines or make it feel like this wasn't part of the show. And that was always a lot of fun, a ton of fun. So you would have two gangsters hijacking a car while the exact same circ- set of circumstances that led the first gangster onto the car happened again? Well, well I mean, the gangster, so the gangster would already hijack the car. So the right. show scene would end, but they'd be there. So once that gangster got the okay to move forward, we would leave like we would go back stage he'd be like all right boys i'll see you in church and we're like oh mugsy i'm gonna ride with you you know mm-hmm. she's really cute let me go along and <laughs> like get out of here you know he'd kind of usher us away so then we could get backstage and we could get settled for the next vehicle that was going to come in so i gotcha yeah yeah so, so, so we would never yeah. leave the show scene we would always uh just help help perform and then move it along and then get ready for the next show so i think what you're asking is like the the animatronics wouldn't reset and start over again no so once if no, the scene not, was no. down then the animatronics would not start up their show again nah, yes, y'all be just be right. riffing and ad-libbing while just by yourselves in the scene correct without any extra help from bugsy and your boy <laughs> no, so there used to be these things called roadbed sensors and um they were sensors in the roadbed <laughs> and they each vehicle had a heavy duty magnet that would trigger the show scene going in. They would trigger the doors. They would trigger the show scene. The show scene was on a timer. So once that roadbed sensor was activated, the show is going to go on regardless of where the vehicle is, who's there, anything like that. So it would require another magnet to 
to, tr to basically trigger the show. In fact, maintenance used to have this thing. It looked like a putter. And on the end of the putter was a high-powered magnet, and they'd walk by for events and things like that. They would trigger the roadbed sensor to kick off an event, or kick off a show scene in Oz or something like that. If there was a one vehicle, or if there was a, if there was a dinner or an, a dessert in Oz where all the guests were sitting down, and then some, the maintenance guy would trigger the roadbed, and the witch would pop up, and we'd do a little shtick. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm like really big into like ride systems and how they work. So uh, the it sounds like everything was uh, based upon that uh, the sensor getting the magnet reading. So nothing would start unless it got another signal uh, to start to initiate the sequence again. Correct. There was also something called the IR sensor, which some of the other animations would have to activate. And the IR sensor would be more a specific animation within the show scene than the whole show scene itself. So roadbed sensor was for the whole show scene. Like if you if you roll into Gangster, it would kick off James Cagney, the Gangster Show, all that stuff. If you just want, and this is only some parts of the ride, if you wanted just, say, Tarzan to swing back and forth, there was an IR sensor would use an IR device. The maintenance guy would, and it would trigger it and kick it off. Okay, so the, uh, the cast member that was leading the tour wouldn't set that off? No, they wouldn't. For the, for the most part, no. It's, we would never hold anything or okay. trigger it. It's just the vehicle itself. Same thing, IR yeah. sensors are used primarily for, like, all the rides, like Jungle Cruise, Pirates, most of the early attractions used IR sensors versus roadbed sensors. Okay, interesting. So when you would hijack a car, was there ever a point in time where a guest freaked out because they did, they were trying to contemplate what, what is happening here? Um, yeah, it's uh, so, yes. Um, <laughs> there, there are just so many times that that happened. So the thing about the movie ride, as you guys know, is there, there's, there's no exit. Like, it's 22 minutes. Mm -hmm. You're once you're on, you're on. Um, so we would have kids get scared in Alien or in Gangster because of all the gunfire bandit, uh, and they would like leave presents all the time. Oh, We've, I've, oh, oh. This is more, yeah, this is more the tour guides issue. Like, <laughs> but um, you know, you'd find like a cup full of urine, like a like a cup, <laughs> cup full of urine because oh. you yeah. like but, <laughs> you like McDonald's yeah. man, pick that up, clean that up. Yeah, but for the most part. Um, when I would hijack a vehicle, a couple of times it's happened where I've seen somebody jump out. An alien usually is the place where someone will jump out. Now, on the vehicles, there were things called running boards. And those running boards were pressure sensitive. So if somebody stepped on it, it would immediately stop the vehicle. So a lot of times I'll be turning around looking at the show scene in front of me and all of a sudden the vehicle will just stop. And uh, I'll catch out of my eye someone doing something. So one time a girl, a little girl got freaked out. She ran back into Bandit and then ran at the end of bandit or the beginning of bandit where there's um john wayne there were like two doors and one door led to the character hallway that led us to the break room and the front of the ride and then there was one that led to like a little maintenance closet with a ladder that went up to the catwalk she somehow got her way up into the catwalk oh we stopped the ride like everyone like we just evac the ride everybody got out except for the parents uh so we dumped every vehicle and uh, and then we started searching and ended up finding her in the catwalk. So, it, yeah, it happened quite frequently. Back then, I have to say, I think guests had a little bit more decorum for the most part. I would say 99% of my experiences with guests were positive. Maybe not that much, maybe 90 across my experience at Disney. I think now it's a little bit different. I still have friends who are frontline cast members and they're like, God, these guests are insane. Like they jump over things to take pictures. They just have no regard for anybody else. I, there were, I mean, there were people like that back then, but they were few and far between. And I think that's now a little bit more than norm, which is a drag. 
but yeah, we, we would have people jump in and out all the time. We used to do grad night there and one, we used to have tour guides follow the vehicles because the kids were so unruly. And one time <laughs> one of my buddies caught kids trying to light a joint and, uh, in the last vehicle and he's like i'm not going to tell anybody but give it to me and then <laughs> <laughs> <they> smoked it <laughs> smoke it up man nice <laughs> yeah yeah so did you ever have to break character while you were up there uh yeah a couple of times so there was a time a bunch of kids well not during the show but a bunch of idiot kids were throwing like ice chips at me and uh i get it was just a long day and i just had it and i went and i called my manager and my manager literally it was a dock <laughs> when the vehicle came in he grabbed the two kids and he pulled them backstage and i was every night you had to clean your guns uh before you took them to security to be stored and he grabbed the kids by the collar and he was like are these the two kids and i was like whoa uh, hey <laughs> i like, had my cubs hat on you know like my wasn't wearing my jacket all that stuff i you know and I was like, yeah, those are the kids. And he's like, don't you ever do this again. I'll have you arrested. And and so it wasn't me breaking character, but it was me just like, I was just like, so even taken aback that my manager pulled these kids in. And I'm like, just don't be jerks, guys. You know, yeah. like, but the other thing was there would be, so he, the, the big drag of the show, as I said before, is once the vehicle goes, the vehicle goes. Like it's 22 minutes, regardless if there's people on it, there's not people on it. If there are people on it, we call it a dead show. And it was like the best time ever because you could just sit with your feet up and not have to spiel for 22 minutes. But if it's like the park closes at 10 and it's the pre-show, it's 9.58 and there are seven people in the pre-show, you've got to load them and mm -hmm. you've got to put them on the show. So there would be times where I would jump on a vehicle as a gangster or a bandit and there'd be like four people <laughs> on the ride. And I was like, yeehaw, you know what, guys, <laughs> let's just... Get through yeah. these together. <laughs> and so to what I would do then is I would, I mean, I'd do the show, but I would also point out things like Hidden Mickeys, this Hidden C-3PO in, that used to be in Anubis, uh, the R2-D2. Like, I would point out all these things somewhat in character, but not in character, and give them a little bit more of a VIP show so that they would be like, oh, we rode the movie ride and we got all these extra cool things. I mean, I'd read the room. I'd read the ride. And if people were like into the ride, I wouldn't break character. But if they're kind of like, it's just everyone feels awkward. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, they've seen it before. What's that? I was going to say, they've seen it before, so they kind of know, and you're performing only for people. So I, I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, mean, what right. do, you, do, do you get a lot of uh, liberty to ad lib? I, I've never really, like, the spiel always to me sounded the same. I never really heard, like, you'll go on the Jungle Cruise, and every once in a while, they'll, they'll you know, switch around the jokes a little bit. So every ride might be a little bit different. I always kind of heard the same script whenever i rode through uh the great movie ride how much liberty do they give you to ad lib very little okay You'd very little levity and that's because of the nature of it's really more the nature of the attraction and then the ip within the attraction so a lot of things when we talk about james cagney we talk about clint eastwood we talk mm -hmm. about like a lot of stuff had to be vetted through the estates of the talent and that guy i mentioned before who actually got me to the movie ride he, the, he's the show performance coach he would hop into vehicles he would try and you know duck down so you wouldn't see him and then he'd <laughs> critique your show and if you got caught ad-libbing too many times um you'd get pulled from characters or you'd get some kind of discipline Ouch. that never happened to me and i would i'll i have to say like there isn't there were times to ad-lib but usually when you're ad-libbing you're ad-libbing off mic to the first three rows um, but there other than like when the vehicle's stuck and you have to go out and help but for the most part the every once in a while you'd kind of 
throw something in and see if anyone paid attention. Like my sister tells me this funny story that when she opened the ride in 89, it was kind of a free for all. And uh, with Tarzan used to, you know, swing on the right as you were going through his scene and uh, you know, he'd go one way and then he'd swing back the other. And she's like, don't worry folks. He swings both ways. Ah, <laughs> yeah. That is a jungle cruise yeah. joke. Yeah. Is. That is awesome. Yeah. Like clearly that's not in the script. That's not <laughs> something that's not very Disney, but <laughs> I, I never had the the gall to try that line, um, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it feels like great movie rides tight, much tighter than Jungle Cruise. Yeah, but what if like you had like guests in the front row just started asking you a bunch of questions? Like, what, excuse me, what are you doing? Why are you here? Like, what if they started trying to engage you? I mean, did that ever happen? Yeah, all the time. Um, it, that's where you can you can go off book because you've got you're sitting next to these people for mm-hmm. eight minutes. And you're not on mic. Sometimes I'd be on mic. If someone asked me a relevant question about something that's going on, I might add some context. I mean, there's filler material in the script too that you're supposed to use, but we kind of took that as like a guideline. Okay. Um, so, I mean, there was a time where Mary Lou Henner was in the front row uh, and I was, this wasn't my show, but I was up in gangster and my buddy Charlie had the show and he's like, Hey lady, how do you drive this thing? And she's like, I only know how to drive a taxi. <laughs> Like without missing a beat. And and then he like riffed with her for a bit. Another time, uh, again, I, I spent so many days up in Gangster that I, thankfully I get to hear all the anecdotes and not, <laughs> not be a part of them. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. uh, Joey Lawrence was on a show and there used to be a part of the show where you, you're leaving Gangster and the doors open. Uh-huh. Like the surprise like open, taking you into Bandit. And then you're like, whoa, what's this? And, uh, and so the guy Rob was the, the gangster and he was like whoa <laughs> <laughs> coming down he's like whoa you know, so uh, you know and joey lawrence is kind of taking it all in stride so there are times when you have a little fun with it or if your family's on the show like you used to get a call and say hey this is so-and-so at doc you've got a show request it's going to be the third show coming in usually it's a family member it's a friend or okay. it's like someone you're, you've met at pi or someone you're dating and they bring their friends and family on so you, then you you lean into the show a little bit more because you want to, you know, impress whoever's on the show and have fun with it. So there'd be times also just anecdotally, there would be uh, someone, uh, there's a girl who really liked me at the ride and uh, she was kind of a little psycho. And so (laughs) she she came with her family uh, and she requested my show and they're like, Hey, so-and-so is on doc with her family. And, uh, unsurprisingly she's requested you as the gangster and i was like yeah. <laughs> yep, got it no problem and then she comes through and i totally skipped the show wow and there's a there's a little area at the top of the stairs backstage right before you walk down to kneel down to start your gangster show where you can look out onto the vehicle to know that the vehicle's there like when to get ready and i could see her in the front row and she's like so disappointed and she's like looking back at the little window because she works there she knows where it is and i'm like waving at her (laughs) (laughs) that's a whole new level to ghosted right there i tell you i was just like yep no problem i'll be i'll be there and then (laughs) like sorry that That is well guys we hope you enjoyed that part one of our conversation with wdw tales host justin stone uh, if you want to learn more about the Magic Ori podcast, magicori.com is the way to go. There you'll find our social media links, past episodes, and more. You can also get in touch with us through the following ways. You can shoot us the email at show at magicori.com, and you can also leave us a voicemail via SpeakPipe widget, and you can call or text us at 1 815 MoWeekend. That is 1 815 MoWeekend. <laughs>
669-4226. And of course, we've got a couple of guys to do things outside of the podcast. First of all, we've got Eli, does things with comics. Sir, tell him what you got going on. Yeah, you know the story. It's all about the glory. You can visit ivorycomics.com and check out the work that I have for Project Geisha, Savages, and the Molly Be Damned. There's also a link to this podcast so you never miss a beat. You can go to Facebook.com, check me out there, Eli Jivey. As long as you're a real person, not a bot, we're all good. Project Geisha has own Facebook page or Facebook.com slash Project Geisha. Instagram, I could be there as well, EIV504. And of course, on Twitter, I can be found at Hancock10166. So if you're loving the madness, then you're just giving me the gladness. Thank you very much. Can I make a suggestion to IvoryComics.com? Of course. As a way to make sure the listeners go to your website this uh, week. Okay. Post a picture that you drew of Mowiki. I can do that. <laughs> Post a picture on Ivory Comics of the picture that. that you drew of Mowiki. So that way the listeners can see. What your, Mowiki? Yeah. My yeah. interpretation that I, that I well, see. Well, not your interpretation. I mean, you live with it. Well, yeah, but, yeah. you know. You just, you know, because he's magical, you can't take a picture of him because, you know. Just, it doesn't come out. Right. Yeah, it exactly. doesn't come out. So yeah, you, it doesn't you know, develop right. I just I don't, don't like, want Mawiki mad at me because I put up this picture. You were like Jack. Is it a nude of Mawiki? Yeah. No, never <laughs> that. He'll be fine. We, we had some cheddar. I gave him the cheddar biscuits. He was good. He had nothing to worry about. He was he'll happy. He'll be fine. Okay. I was going to say, it's like Titanic and, and yes. Mawiki's wearing the heart of the ocean. Awesome. Heart of the cheddar biscuit. We'll definitely do that. So definitely follow his social media things and make sure that you catch that. A wiki picture at some point. I will do that. Yeah, I like to be able to look at me and see what I look like. As long as you're good with it, Mawiki, I will put it. Eli's been, Eli's been feeding me lately. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for 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 encouraging Eli to feed me. Because I like food. Not as much as, 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 as Eli does, but I like food. <laughs> yeah, I was getting some emails from uh, various people like, why don't you feed Mawiki? I'm like, I do just. It's tough. Like, why'd you give him a weekly place to sleep? Like, all right, I'm working on it. So, yeah, yeah the pressure's on. Sorry about those emails. I had some extra time in my day. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was you. Okay, cool. <laughs> I feel a little more safer now. <laughs> so, guys, if you want to take a trip to come to New Orleans and meet Mawiki or go to Disneyland or Walt Disney World, you can do so with Lee. Lee, tell him how to do this. Just give me a call at 832-570-5490. That's 832-Butt-Taco-Pirates. Uh, <laughs> T-C-O-P-R-T-E You can email me at Lee at MagicRWay.com You can always check out the Facebook page at Facebook.com That's L-A-S-T-O-B-I-C-A Travel And as of last week or a couple weeks ago Please check out the Instagram page at you underscore got underscore a underscore friend underscore in Well I don't even remember it's so long. I think you need to shorten that, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think yeah. you need all the underscores, and you need some capitalizations so it doesn't look like you That's got the hacked. Yeah, just keep butt tackle pie. <laughs> you need something short and sweet, man. It's <laughs> you got a friend in the travel, all with underscores. So you just figure it out. It's easy. But uh, anyway, it's not, that, that, it's, it's not, not that, that easy. We thought you were hacked. That's how long That's, that address yeah, was. It looks like you're. It's like a, a, a amateurish account. <laughs> Can I tell you something? It looks like a sixty-year-old guy who set up an Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Truth be told, I tried to do. You got a friend in Lee, and it was taken. So someone out there is you got a friend in Lee. I had to put them underscores in there oh, for some reason. You better Let sue me somebody. Do. Why did you put like a number behind it, like something. number one or something like that? Or oh, the real? Um, you have a friend in Lee. MMV. Let me tell you something. Up until the moment he said, "But to, I've never seen three guys face palms simultaneously." 
<laughs> I heard Lee say butt taco pirates. I, I was like, I'm not following that. Nope, nope. Go ahead, Lee. Close it out. All right. So anyway, if you do any of that, we get you hooked up and booked up with no. Hasselvika! And if you want to support the show as a whole, you can do so through the following ways. You can buy us some beignets and support the show that way. You can also represent the Moeca Nation wherever you go by purchasing some clothing from our shop. And the easiest way is to leave a rating interview in Apple Podcasts or wherever you download the show, whether it is Stitcher, Blueberry, Google Play Music, etc. Finally, if you want to have a place in which you can freely speak your Disney mind without fear of retribution, join us in the Moeacan Pleasure Island 33 Facebook group. There you will have a chance to interact with all the famous Moeacans as well as Danny, Eli, Lee, and yours truly. Also remember, we are part of the BS Podcast Network, whose motto is we speak our minds so you don't have to, so be sure to support our partners in podcasting over there. And guys, Kirk, thank you very much once again for introducing us to Justin. It was a yeah. definite pleasure, and thank you for coming in. At least do the intro and outro. No problem. You know I always love being here. Props to you, sir. And guys, absolutely, go check out Justin, WDW Tales. Good stuff. And also listen to Justin on part two of next week. So make sure you check that out and listen to more stories from The Great Movie Ride and beyond. Yeah, because that, inter- that interview was so great that we just could not shut up. <laughs> yeah, we just kind of kept going until he cut us. And off. there were a lot of more questions to ask him beyond that. So no, we kept going until his two-year-old woke up. Yeah, so, that's what enough. we do. We wait children. We heard the, we heard the kids, and we were automatically like our parent mode kicked in. It was like, oh yeah, it's time to go. Yeah, well we, that that was <laughs> the yeah, entertainment. Yeah. That was the entertainment. The kid was like, I want to learn some more too about yes. you, daddy. Mm-hmm. And then we had to let it go. All right, guys, we thank you for taking time out of your day, listeners, and making us a part of your Disney fan life. We appreciate you and love hearing from our listeners. All opinions are welcome on the Magic Roy Podcast, so get in touch with us today. So, Moeekins, ladies and gentlemen, we say Quaharini. My name is Kevin. I'm Danny. Magic out. I have every intention of eating those bananas for breakfast, but I still somehow end up with tacos. Schwab ice cream. Hey, folks, this is Lee from the Magic Our Way Podcast, and While I'm booking all those magical Disney vacations, I'm listening to Mad Hatter Radio.